0: Hey everybody, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. It's season four and we're in a new season. It's season four and we're starting with a bang this morning apparently because we're going to talk about it. 250 women have been shot fatally by police since 2015. This is according to a report on the Washington Post that wrote this report in which they detailed how. 250 women have been fatally shot by police since 2015. Take that as you will. Digest that on this first episode of season four of Down to Earth. It's quite crazy. Later on, uh, we're going to get a former police officer and a former judge to come and talk about what is going on with this excessive use of force by the police and how are women being killed and especially women of color, black women in particular. And I'm going to run this by the numbers so you get some perspective of what is going on. I don't think that any of us are oblivious or unless you've were on, you been on another planet. But since the March for Racial Justice began after George Floyd's death, the story of Breonna Taylor has been elevated. And we didn't know about it. It's, it's almost as if they had a muzzle on it, just like Ahmad Aubrey's case. Now we understand why Ahmad Aubrey's case was 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 delayed and the notifications were sent out, is because the man who killed him is a former police detective. He and his son, the man who shot Ahmad Aubrey, is a former police detective, a little known fact that was crucial that which sh- the public should have been informed of, and we were never informed of. And had it not been for the George Floyd protest. We would never have heard about Brianna Taylor. Once Brianna Taylor, Taylor's name became known, then all of a sudden we're seeing this roll call of women uh, uh, for for for, uh, for uh, this roll call of women who suddenly are showing up and who are suddenly just 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 being killed, fatally shot by police for no reason whatsoever. What on earth? is going on. Is this a question of Jesus take the wheel or is this a question of who's going to take the wheel to make sure that women are protected? It seems to me that we have a problem of violence in the society and the violence is being perpetrated by the very people who are supposed to serve and protect. This echoes the cries of people who for decades now have been saying that the police have been unnecessarily meeting of violence against citizens. And most of us were too shocked. We would sit on our couches and say, couldn't be, the police wouldn't do that because immediately we want to assign them integrity, that they're not going to kill unarmed people, that they're not going to shoot people randomly, like it's blood sport or like it's a sporting event or people are running away from the police because the police did a stop and seizure just on suspicion and then people realize they're going to be shot. So they start running away and the police fire shots of people in their backs. We never thought up until those situations became evident, we were kind of like giving the police the benefit of the doubt. Most of the public that is. Until Trayvon Martin, where we realized that, that justice is colored, George Zimmerman is still free and Trayvon Martin is still dead. Tamir Rice is still dead. He would have been a college freshman today. Tamir Rice would have been a college freshman today. Instead, he's laying in a grave. Didn't get a chance to finish middle school. Didn't get a chance to finish, to even start high school, much less to dream of going to college. Thanks to police violence against black people. It's time out for this. I have been a supporter of the police for many years now i've always given the police the benefit of the doubt because i like you want to think that the police are doing their best i like you want to think that the police's job is to protect and serve to protect us from criminal acts and criminal activity by no stretch of the imagination are any of us giving criminals the benefit of the doubt if you're walking around waving a gun you need to be stopped public safety is at risk if you're firing shots into the air you need to be stopped if you're attacking women and children and raping women and children you need to be stopped but by no stretch of the imagination are we giving the police a free a free a get out of jail free card just so they can go and randomly shoot people so i want to get into the text of this because i want us to understand why this is an important subject for us to pay attention to. It's human life, if you value human life. And why we need to have social justice reform. Let's take the case of Breonna Taylor, for instance. The police executed what is called a no-knock warrant in Louisville, Kentucky. That means they had the, the, the right given to them by the law Signed off by a judge that they could enter Brianna ta- Taylor's apartment on suspicion that her boyfriend was involved in drugs, in drug activity. Now, I, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the, the drugs conversation is a, it, it's a bit overdone. It's a little overdone. Don't you think? I think so. I think they need to go after the criminals who are smuggling uh, weapons, high powered weapons like AR-15s and AK-47s. I think they need to go after those people. I also think they need to go after real criminals. The criminals who are raping seniors, attacking seniors in their homes, the criminals who are scamming people's identities, and the criminals who are murdering and raping children. The people who are engaged in sex trafficking of children, for instance. I don't see the police going after them. When was the last time you saw a white man being arrested for for sex trafficking? I'm waiting for you to tell me that. Yet the police go after black people On suspicion. And you go after black people for drugs. Come on now. On suspicion of drugs? So you're going to pull some kid over. Pull somebody over who just uh, smoked some weed. Coming from a party. Coming from a gathering. And who smoked some weed. And you're going to pull them over. And then you're going to lock them up. I have a caller. And I want to hear what he has to say. Hey, good morning. This is Down to Earth. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well.
0: Very well. well. How do you feel about this? 250 women have been fatally shot by police. Let me put it into perspective for you. Of that number, 48 of them are black. Seven are unarmed. And Listen to this. 12 of them were killed while officers were conducting a search or arrest warrant. How do you feel about that? Well, I have a real hard time
1: because there's so many... police officers out there. You know, you can't beat that radio when they gang up on people that don't have any weapons and they use a for force. That's not a good thing. That's, uh, that, that's really appalling and with the deal with women, it makes it even worse. So, it, it, it's sad that we that, um, live in a day and age where all these people are getting shot where um, we don't have that much access to weaponry like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. police have unlimited unlimited uh officers when they especially when they call the radio. Sometimes it's like it's been like they'll gang up on a person, it's like one person and it's like seven squad cards for
0: one person. No so, kidding. Uh, I'm telling you the honest truth. I have been working in the field of ending violence against women for a while now. And in twenty sixteen I was giving a, I was talking about violence in our society and its impacts on the family. And at that time we had some statistics, but this statistic had not come to us yet. And I'm telling you the honest truth, sir, I am, I'm just a person like you. And I tell you, when I read this article, I shuddered, I, I had a hard time. I literally had to take my glasses off, put my pen down and shut my iPad. I could not read this article anymore. It took a week for me to finish this article. Can you believe that? I had a really hard time digesting this. And as a member of the community, you're pointing out something to me that I never thought of. When we call the cops and they show up, sometimes it's seven squad cars on one person, and that by itself is intimidating. But can I just ask something, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But a few years ago, the FBI said that the police had been infiltrated by uh, white nationalists and the KK Klan. Do you think that race is a factor behind all of this?
1: Oh, I do, 100%. It's a major driving factor. The people of our society, uh, the people, it's mulatto, uh, the Latinos, the brown, the minorities, they get a bad rap, and the uh, Caucasian man... He has different opportunities. I'm not saying he's better or worse, but it's not so much a a resistance. When they shoot us and they uh, do weird things, and we, and we uh, we just take it for granted.
0: Wow. Yeah, I get it. Thank you, sir, for calling in. Continue to listen. Thanks so much for your support.
1: Yeah, I'm there. I really appreciate you.
0: I'm telling you the honest truth. Uh, My caller is like me. I'm shuddering. I'm sweating. I'm breaking out in a sweat because this is a difficult subject for me to talk about because I'm looking at the faces of some of these women and the ages of some of these people. And it could be anybody's auntie. It could be anybody's cousin. It could be anyone's grandma. It could be anyone's mom. It could be anyone's sister. Anyone's friend. Say her name. Say her bloody name. I'm gonna to read to you the ages that was uncovered in this Washington Post report. The oldest was 72, Geraldine Townsend. Then there was Rogena Nicholas at 58, and of course it starts as young as 17. Brianna Taylor obviously was 26. So let me give you the numbers because I think we need to contextualize this. And as the caller said, white males when encountered by the police have more opportunities. They don't die, they get to walk away. They're either escorted to jail or they walk away. Black men do not get to walk away. And here is the, re- and here is the real numbers. According to the Washington Post, police have shot and killed 1,274 black men since January 2015. Sit there and think about this. And you wonder why there is call for police reform. You wonder why there's call to end systemic racism. Because since 2015, 1,274 black men have been shot by the police, have been shot and killed by the police since 2015. I need us to get a grip and wrap our minds Around the probabilities of what this means. I need us to contextualize and understand that we have a problem with race in the police force. It's systemic racism, but it's structured because it is in structures that are managed and controlled and executed and enforced by law enforcement. The police are the local bodies. The police are the locals. The police are the first person who gets called when something goes wrong. The police, 911 does not apply to the FBI. It doesn't apply to the state troopers. It's 911, it's local. You know how they say all politics is local? Well, policing is local, law enforcement is local. Therefore, there are more opportunities for interactions between the police, because they're local, and localized to jurisdictions and localized to, to vicinities than there are with, with the the FBI. For instance, you don't hear the FBI get accused of killing people on a stakeout or killing people under surveillance or so on. Do you know why? It's not because the FBI has less violent encounters with people. No, it's because they're more studied in their approach. They're more disciplined. They're more disciplined because they don't want to go to court and lose a case. So they make sure that if they're going to do something, it is covered and they're not going to lose in court because they're governed by law. They allow themselves to be governed by law. That's what we're asking of the police. The police show up and they get trigger happy. Why are they so trigger happy to open fire on the police? Why are they so trigger happy to open fire on citizens? There is something very wrong with the methodology that is being used by the police. Recently in the city of Detroit, the judge had to intervene to ask the police, you can't do excessive force. There is a reason for that. And you gotta understand that the city of Detroit probably is unique in its relationship with the Detroit Police Department. It's a very unique relationship. The the, the Detroit Police Department really, they don't go out and just open fire on citizens. If they shoot somebody, he was wrong. Chances are he was wrong before, They're looking for him. (laughs) They had a warrant out for him. And if they do shoot him, they're going to impair him first before he's fatally shot. That could be because the city of Detroit, the Detroit Police Department takes a different view on policing. Their view is that they're part of the community. So they try to understand what happens. Now, there have been officers shot when they uh, turn up for domestic violence situations. Those are unfortunate, but they're what you refer to as occupational hazards. And those incidents, by and large, nationwide, are not as many as it is when you're looking at since 2015. 2015 was just five years ago. 2020 isn't even over yet. So this report was compiled on statistics up until June 2020. And we're talking about 250 women fatally shot by the police. 48 of whom were black. Yeah? That is uncalled for and that requires national intervention. The police are supposed to protect and serve us. You're not supposed to be killing us off. So I have a problem with my boyfriend or husband. Yeah? And I call the police. I expect when the police show up, he's going to do what? Protect the injured party, right? He's going to. So who is the injured party? Me. He's not going to open fire on me. So if I'm going to be shot by my husband, by my boyfriend, by my whoever, my male partner, and then I'm also in danger of being shot by the police, it seems to me that women are under siege. I can't begin to tell you how much uh, that when we talk about funding and so on in our budgets, perhaps the police keep saying that well you know we show up and sometimes people are mentally unbalanced. Well. Do you call headquarters and tell them they need a social worker out here? But you know what happens at the moment? The person is a danger to themselves. Can you use a stun gun? Can you disable them but not kill them? Do you have something like a, what's the thing? The thing that goes, I I can't remember what the heck is it called? That thing, whatever it's called. The thing that goes, can you disable the person but not kill them? Why does it have to re- revert to excessive force every time? We're traumatized. We are so significantly traumatized by the killings that we are seeing in the streets. Enough is enough. And I want everybody who is hearing me to understand that enough is enough. This is a rallying cry for the people to get up and to start saying enough is enough. We're not going to sit back and let the police continue to kill unarmed black people in the streets. You're going to stop. If you don't stop today, you're going to stop at some time because it is going to have to stop. We cannot continue like this. This is not going anywhere good. And if this is what is being promoted, then it needs to stop. I do not understand why the officers who continue to shoot people, who have records that are long, why are they not under investigation? Many of them are infiltrated. Many police departments and jurisdictions across the country have been infiltrated by white nationalists and the Ku Klux Klan, and nobody is doing anything about it. What does the Ku Klux Klan stand for? ethnic genocide to eradicate black people out of America. Why is no one doing anything about it? Why is nobody talking about it? Why are these police officers not being investigated? Why are they being covered? And why are they being protected up to the highest office in the land? This is ridiculous. And I guarantee you, if the, in two years, this is going to stop. It is going to stop because we're not going to sit back and let our aunties, our mothers, even if she has a warrant out for her arrest, even if she went to some store and stole milk off the shelf or took baby diapers out, or she was driving down the street, smoking a spliff. And she really just didn't feel like being a handled today or being mansplained today. Whatever her reason is, she's a human being who has a right to live. I've seen police officers take them. I, 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 frankly, as much as I drive, I don't see police officers pulling over white people at the rate at which they pull over black people. Let me just be clear on that. That's one. Number two, I don't see white women being arrested for all the stuff they do. White women go in stores and commit retail fraud. I don't see them being let out, but a black person does it. And they the about five squad cars are sitting out in the mall waiting to take her down or him down. That is what we've got to fix. This structured systemic racism has got to stop. Are you all hearing me? It's not going anywhere good. I've been talking about this since 2012. I've been begging people to stop this since 2012. And since you all don't listen, well, get ready for what the people are going to rise up and do. Because how many times do you think it's 104 days since the George Floyd protests started? And the people are still protesting. We've changed seasons. We went, when George Floyd protests started, it was spring. Then we changed to summer. It's going to be fall in a few days. And the people are still protesting. What does that tell you? They are determined for systemic change to happen. And a change is going to happen. No more of this foolishness. I'm sitting here in my studio and I feel threatened as a black person. I feel threatened as a black woman that there's a big A on my back for arrest, a big A on my back for, for, for just being pulled over, driving while black, living while black. Heck, I could just be walking down the street living while black. I could be taking a jog living while black. I could be walking through Central Park or any park living while black. But I guarantee you, I have a community behind me who is not going to put up with this foolishness anymore. And I am not afraid of the establishment. I'm not afraid of the police and your bureaucracy. You need to stop doing what you're doing because that is wickedness. And you know you're wrong. You know that you've been infiltrated by people who are not good that is making you look bad. Instead of dealing with it and removing them from the force or putting them Behind the scenes, but don't put them out in combat. Why aren't you hiring more vets who come back from war and who are trained? Why are you hiring people who come from way up in the hill somewhere? And you know from when you're interviewing them that they can't pass the fitness test, the mental fitness test, but you still hire them and give them a gun and a license to go shoot and kill. I thought in this country only the FBI has the right to shoot and kill without uh, you know, without anything. I didn't know the police, too, have the right to shoot and kill. Once upon a time, there were investigations into a shooting done by the police. Now they are not. So the people who are running the police departments are just as bad as the people who are firing shots. I tell you, the more I read about this stuff is the more I am appreciative of the, 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 the Detroit police chief, Chief Craig. He said this once. He said, you have to have people from the community who look like the community to police the community. So why are we hiring white nationalists to go police black communities? Why would you put a gun in the hand of the man who shot Breonna Taylor? who went into her home when they knew they were asleep at two o'clock in the darn morning, a force rammed their door open and came in. What do you expect people to do? So even if she was shot in the hallway, so she heard it and came out to see what was going on. She didn't have a gun, but she was shot and killed. Sandra Bland was driving while black. Maybe she had had a few, or maybe she just didn't feel like being manhandled that day by white police officers. Do you know how difficult it is as a group of people that we have to have conversations with our children about driving and about if they get into an activity with the police, what to do? Do you know we have to tell our children, don't stay out too late? Don't do this. My daughter continually says, I'm a person, I'm free. What the hell are you telling me that I can't do this and I can't do that? I'm like, it's a different racial environment today. Don't stay out too late. Come home by a certain time. Be careful of who you are hanging out with. Don't hang out with too many people in the car. It's her car. Why can't she be free? White kids don't care. They drive at one o'clock in the morning, speeding, driving while drunk, driving while high. They pop more pills than anybody else. Whole school districts. Parents give their kids, the drug dealing parents give the kids pills to distribute on the school bus at school. And the school, the people in the school know about it. Everybody knows about it, but they don't get locked up. Recently here in Michigan, a young girl was sent to prison by a white judge who has a history of hating on women. This particular judge hates ethnic women. If you are non-white, she hates your period, right? And this judge sent this young black girl to school because, to prison because she didn't do her homework. So naturally became an outcry. And one of the stories I read on the Detroit news was one of the protesters who said, who protested to free grace. You know what she said? She said, I grew up in this community. She said, I went to school with people who were who, white kids who had problems with the law, but who ended up graduating from Michigan and are living free today. Because the police did not give them a record. They did not go to prison despite the egregious circumstances that they committed. They did things worse than Grace did by not doing her homework. That is what we call systemic racism. It's so structured. The structure of it is designed to make you fail. So you're gonna fail academically, and you're going to fail if you're so much as show up smoking a, a spliff. You know, Bob Marley used to sing a song that said, excuse me while I light my spliff. Bob Marley used to say for decades that smoking marijuana should be legalized. And now we know why. Because he said it was just an herb that grew in the earth. It wasn't a manufactured substance. The people who make manufactured substances are big pharma. They get to distribute their pills that are killing people off. And nobody still, it's okay. It's okay for, the, for you to go to the doctor and to go to the psychiatrist or go to your therapist and say, I really am not coping well, I'm not sleeping well, I have anxiety about my husband cheating or whatever, and they pop you pills, and you take the pills home, and your kids start distributing those pills. And it's okay. But somebody driving down the street smoking weed, you're gonna lock them up. People are in jail for smoking weed. Today, criminalized unnecessarily for smoking weed. I know it's legal for white people to go buy it. White men can go smoke their weed all they want, be high all they want. Meanwhile, black people have been criminalized and locked up for smoking weed. Since 2015, 1,274 black men have been shot and killed by the police. Let me give you some more numbers. Black women are 13% of the female population, but represent 26% of women shot and killed by the police. 28% of women in this 250 number were unarmed. Black women are fatally shot at rates higher than women of other races. Black men, by the numbers, black men are 12% of the male population and represent 27% of the men shot and 36% of on, on unarmed deaths. 89 of the 250 numbers. 89 were killed at homes or residences. Jesus, take this wheel. So something happens at home. I can relate. I've written a book about it through the fire. My home was a violent place perpetrated by a violent man whom I was married to. When I married him, he didn't tell me he was violent. He didn't show that he was violent, so I didn't know I was marrying someone who had the potential to kill me? So imagine the police show up. Imagine my daughter or my children, one of my children, call the police and the police show up. I am, and I start crying or start slapping my ex husband. The police pull out their gun and shoot me in my home while my family are watching. This is what the statistic represents the women who were shot at their homes or residences. So the police go to conduct a search. You know the usual language. It's been reported that a vehicle matching this description. It's been reported that someone matching your description stole, robbed, did some, has, was in possession of uh, contraband or weapons, drugs. That's the language they use, right? And they show up at your house. And then something happens. You become, I'm not going to jail. I'm not, I didn't do it. Because the police believe in force and excessive force. Sometimes I think they think they're in a turf war. The police are just like the gang members. They're in a turf war. They come to your house to lock you up. It's your turf, but it's their turf. It's your home, but it's their turf. They can do whatever they want to do because they have qualified immunity. That law needs to be struck down. Nobody should be above the law and not the police. The police should not have the random right to go and murder people and kill people. That's crazy, y'all. Why are we putting so much power in the hands of people whom you don't really know? Why are we giving so much power to pe- No, let them be held accountable just the same like you hold me accountable. In Michigan, I want to buy a gun. If I want to buy a gun, I got to go and show my driver's license. They have to check if I have anything in my criminal background, right? If there's something in my background that denotes that I've had any kind of violent encounter, I can't own a darn gun. Why shouldn't the police be subjected to the same process of vetting? Don't come and tell me that you vet them. How did you vet them and you have KKK clans members inside the police department? The, the FBI has been warning this for more than, for almost 10 years now. I remember when it was first issued in 2012 when Obama was still president. I believe it was before the, the, uh, the elections of 2012, the general elections. So, what gives you all? What gives? you didn't think this was going to be a damage or did you look at the deaths of black people as collateral damage? Why are you fighting a war on the people in America, on black people in America? Why are you fighting a war on black people? John Crow, Jim Crow wasn't enough. I call him John Crow. It was John Crow. It was like a vulture. Slavery wasn't enough. Jim Crow wasn't enough. Reconstruction wasn't enough. Civil rights weren't enough. So now you're going to take it to give it to the hands of the police to solve this? White nationalists are prevalent in America today. They feel emboldened. You think they're only on Twitter sending out tweets and bots? You wish. They're inside the police force. They're showing up at protests. They're looting and pillaging and dressing in blackface to make sure they start an inside the race war because they already know that they have their backing within the police. Yes, the police, the police whom I used to trust. The police have lost my faith and my trust. And I tell you something, that's dangerous. Because I used to support the police. And now I don't. This is me when a shooting happens. Tell me what happened. Because now I am doubting the veracity. I'm doubting the credibility of the police to protect and serve. Why? Because 250 women have been fatally shot since 2015. You cannot justify that. If it were 25, we would have a different conversation. The construction of our conversation would go like, maybe we need to investigate these outlying and extenuating circumstances. But when it's 250 women in five years, I cannot begin to imagine what the next five years will be. The question that I really want to ask is, how are we going to stop this? Like, at some point, we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we going to stop this? It, it, it seems to me that we're at a different time and a different place. Uh, I, I don't understand how we got to this place. I I fail to... <laughs> I'm struggling to understand because here again, I'm going to read you these numbers. (sighs) I can't friends. I can. I'm going to put this into context for you in these last few minutes. And I'm going to read the names of some of the women who have been killed. And I want you to tell me, how do you feel about it? Are you Ready? There is a graph that the Washington Post has, and I'm going to read some of these names Geraldine Townsend, 72 years old, India Kager, 27 years old, DeCynthia Clements, 34 years old, Brianna Taylor, 26, Rogena Nicholas, 58 years old, Hannah Williams, 17 years old. Altaria Woods, 21 years old. These are all part of the 250 women who have been shot by the police since 2015. My friends, this is beyond acceptable and reasonable. There is no justification, and I know there are a lot of white folks and a lot of a lot of white people who sit back and say that does not apply to me that is not my problem. But let me ask you this. We all said it wasn't our problem until it arrived on our doorstep. So when it is your daughter, because it's going to happen, because after they have killed black people off, they're not going to put their guns down. They're going to object to women who object to them. They're going to object to women determining policy and public policy They're going to object to women who dictate, who are in government, and women who make public policy. What are you going to do when they do that? Maybe white men don't shoot white women. I don't know. Seems to me domestic violence happens anywhere. You ever heard of white-on-white crime? Just recently here in Michigan, one man's girlfriend left him, and she went to be with her cousins, ostensibly to feel some level of protection. And he showed up and killed all four of them. Her and her three cousins. He didn't turn himself in until a few days later, until a a statewide manhunt brought him in. So there is white on white crime. All the time we see in the news where white men, in one case, we had a couple who had children expressly for the purpose of having sex with them and putting them up online to sell. I kid you not. So there is white on white crime. It doesn't get reported because white people don't like to wash their dirty laundry in public. White people like to project that only people of color are poor, but yet we have poverty in rural America like crazy. Right now, people in rural America, because the postal service has slowed down, not getting their mail, not getting their meds. Their social security checks that should have come the 1st to the 3rd of September probably hasn't gotten to them yet. They're still waiting for the one from August that came maybe at the end of August, and the one for September hasn't arrived yet. So there are all kinds of issues everywhere. My thing is, what is going on? So white people tend to say, well, it's not my issue, it's not my problem. Until your granddaughter goes out and demonstrate and gets accosted by the police and is pelleted by the police. That's when it's gonna you're going to rise up and realize that we have a problem with police violence. Honestly, I was the supporter of the police. I justified it. I would say, well, criminal elements prevail. But then Trayvon Martin wasn't criminal. He was shot by George Zimmerman, who never went to jail for it. Tamir Rice was just a 12-year-old kid playing with a toy gun. White boys, little white kids play with toy guns all the time. They don't get killed. So I had to put that into context. Sandra Bland was just a girl driving down the street whom the police decided to exert his power and authority over, dragged her into a jail cell and took a picture of her dead to post that she was was, uh, remanded in custody. And it was covered up. It's the cover-up that gets to me. The cover-up from the police chiefs and the surrounding police officers and the brass all the way up. It's the cover-up. I just want to look in your face and ask you, why are you so full of hate? You realize it's a two-way street. So the same degree of hatred that you're going to give to me is the same degree of hatred that I'm going to give back to you. Do you think that your force and your what you think is your power is going to stop me from hating you? The same way that you detest black people is the same way these young black kids in the streets are saying, we detest you and your use of power. And there is no seeming dialogue or middle ground because every day it just gets worse and worse. We're demonstrating George Floyd and then comes Rayshard Brooks. Rachel Brooks. Then all of a sudden we learned of Ahmad Arbery. Then we learned of Elijah McClain. And it just goes on and on and on. So after a while, you begin to see a pattern and you're like, so they're not killing white men as much as they're killing black men. And these are not criminals. Do you see what I'm saying? The real criminals? The real criminals, they're not, where are they? The real criminals who are driving through neighborhoods, harassing seniors and raping and pillaging women, they're not getting killed. You're killing unarmed black people who are just going about their business. You're pulling over people And killing them and dragging them out of their vehicles. Because they say something that you don't like. When white kids have encounters with the police. They talk to the cops any old way. And you just yeah, I'll deal with that, okay. But you don't shoot them and pull them out of the vehicle. And shoot them in their backs seven times. The trauma that we've been subjected to. Of watching people who look like us. Being shot and killed is unprecedented. It's collective and it's going to be collaborative. We're all going to come together and collaborate, and somebody's going to pay for this collective trauma. And if you think that you can run away under Trumpism and get away with it because he endorses the police and says the police can do whatever they want, if you think that that ideology is going to protect you think again. You are going to get exactly what you wanted. You thought that if you got shot and killed black people, shoot and kill black people, then you would get rid of black people. You may just find yourself getting rid of the very thing you value the most, the peace and security of living in a free country. Because there is no way, this is shaking up our country. Because even though, even most people who say, well, even the most ardent supporters of the police are saying, I think it's time for reform. We may need to look into this. Most white people, when interviewed in a CNN poll, said they feel that they're equally treated by the police. They don't feel any harm. And yes, it is true. If you are white, you don't need to fear the police. My daughter went to uh, college with someone and years later, when, you know, they encountered each other, that person was pulled over for the first time. And after driving for eight years without a driver's license, she was finally pulled over. She wasn't arrested. She wasn't beaten. She wasn't shot. She was told to go get her driver's license. She was white. My daughter would not drive on the street without a learner's permit. She complied with the law, but a white person drove for eight years in Lansing the surrounding communities of Lansing, Michigan, without a driver's license. And it wasn't until she was pulled over, she was given a ticket for driving without a license. A black person does not get that privilege. A black person is shot and killed and drugs planted that under suspicion, they plant drugs and they put stuff on you. All the horror stories that I've heard of, I'm now beginning to think they're all true. Look at me, yes mr police officer you let you've let me down, but you didn't care anyway. You didn't care whether I agreed with you or whether I let you you let me down. You didn't care. You are pursuing an ideal that never existed and was never real and was unfounded in the first place. Your ideal was white supremacy, that's what, so as many followers as you could get who supported that, that's what you were looking for. This has got to stop. it's just crazy. 250 women have been fatally shot by the police since 2015. America, this is a reckoning. It can't continue, can it? Are you really comfortable with that? What are you going to do when they have an arrest warrant for your auntie, your sister, your cousin, your friend, and they show up? Because that time will come. It's only a matter of time. This is called a breakdown of order. This is called a breakdown of societal order. And it's only a matter of time before this becomes known. My name is Harriet Kemick. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. Thank you so much. Join us again. Go visit our page. On Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever your favorite podcast platform is. Get my book, Through the Fire. It is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Get my book, Through the Fire, and read it. It talks about violence and the effects of violence on the family. I can't believe I wrote this book in 2011 and nine years later, it's as relevant today as it was then. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today being Wednesday, September 10th. So it's actually one day before the commemoration of 9-11 that we are broadcasting. Uh, Today is Thursday, September 11th, 2020. And in the last 24 hours, I think all of us have kind of just gone through, it's kind of like when your husband tells you he's going to divorce you. (laughs) And you spend, you can't sleep at night, you you toss and turn, and you're not sure how it's going to go, and you feel really badly about it. That's kind of how the rest of us feel, that after everything that you've tried to do, after everything you've done, your husband tells you he wants a divorce because he cheated. (laughs) And you're like, seriously? Like, you could have seen this coming. You kind of sensed that this was, but to hear him say it in his own words is damning. Well, that's sort of how we all felt yesterday when we learned from the Woodward tapes. And Bob Bob Woodward is kind of a venerable uh, journalist. He's, in fact, credited with bringing down the Nixon administration because he discovered the tapes from Watergate that convinced some Republican senators who stormed into the Oval Office and persuaded then-President Nixon to resign. I don't think we have men and women of that caliber today who are likely to storm into the Oval Office and convince this president to resign. I don't think so. I think this president buttressed himself and protected himself by making sure he has dirt on people. I think that, frankly, that that's just the truth. But if you were to ask me, what is the opportunity cost, or what is the cost of the revelations, contained in Mr. Woodward's book, I am going to tell you 190,000 people. The number is so heavy and weighs so heavily on most of us that I think we're all trying to breathe. I think finally all Americans, black, white, and the in-between, have finally woken up to the fact that I can't breathe we can't breathe the coronavirus has robbed us of our collective national breath we can't breathe we can't breathe because we can't believe that this could have been avoided that we're the richest country in the world we have i'm going to read you a statistic i read this morning on a periodical it says the u.s has, listen to this, is number, leads the world in medical technology. Yet we are number 97 in access to healthcare. The US is number one in quality of universities, but number one, number 91 with access to quality basic education. We lead the world in medical technology, but we can't breathe. There are people, 190,000 and counting, it's not over yet who have died as a result of the... I think we're all collectively numb because we're all thinking about the folks we know who have died and some who are still suffering from debilitating effects. There are people whom I know who are still going through therapy, physical therapy to relearn how to walk. People are still going through respiratory therapy to relearn how to breathe as a result of the debilitating effects effects of the coronavirus. In fact, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta tweeted yesterday that her husband had contracted COVID and she was exposed to it. And she said it's two months after and he's headed yesterday, he was headed for an MRI, an appointment to do an MRI because every morning since then when he wakes up, he has debilitating Headaches, and when you look at—if you were to ask me—that is the cost. That is what it has cost us. And so, this morning, even as we talk about Black doctors pushing for unbiased training in medicine, we still, as a nation, have to reconcile and reckon with ourselves. Like, who do we elect to serve us at the local level and at the national level? We can't let fanaticism control how we vote and select people who lead. It can't just be fanaticism. It can't be because I like a personality. It has to be on soundness. I want to see your record. If you have never served in government before, I want to see your record. I want to see you having advocated or worked in the community or worked with community members to bring about change Right at your level. Okay, so you probably have never held a national position. That's fine. Very few people have. But show me your record where you have worked and advocated to make someone's life better. We can't just choose people because we like them. This is what is happening to us right now. Right now, Right now, as people learned this overnight, as people watched this unfold, they are waiting for the hospital to notify them to come and pick up their loved one's body. Right now, they are looking as the doctors tell them, your loved one tested positive for COVID and they're not going to make it. And we, the question we really need to ask ourselves is, is this what we want? Is this how we want to proceed? And frankly, I don't think so. I don't think any of us anywhere wanted this to happen. I I didn't sleep well last night. So you're seeing me raw. I don't even have makeup on. (laughs) Because I I, I simply, I could not sleep last night. I tossed and turned and did everything to try to fall asleep. But guys, it just wasn't happening. Because I, I could not shake the fact That for seven long months, we've been going under people have lost homes, people have lost an entire way of life, people have lost their businesses, children can't go to school, our whole way of life disrupted, our whole life pattern disrupted as a result of a virus that could have been prevented. I am not saying that there wasn't a way in which the virus couldn't have been mitigated. I'm not saying there wasn't a way in which it wasn't going to happen, maybe one or two or ten cases, but it should never have gotten to this point. And the fact that the virus, the president knew that the virus was transmissible by air and did not tell us so we could have prevented it, so we could have protected ourselves, is bad. It's very bad and still going out and encouraging people not to wear masks and having large groups of people congregate is grossly irresponsible it, i i don't know about you but i'm like, last night it, i actually found myself thinking that well if it is transmissible by air which we have all suspected because from the very beginning i couldn't understand how it's a virus and it wasn't transmissible by air i was terrified of touching places and and breathing the air in then i said to myself well Even when you're at home, maybe we should wear masks at home then, because uh, when you think about it, you have to ask yourself, why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you wear a mask at home? Because you open your windows, you open your doors, the air comes in, your AC is on, the air comes in through it, right? So why would you not wear a mask at home? It's just too terrifying to think about. So... We're approaching 9-11. It's the memorial of 9-11 tomorrow. And I'm asking you to pray. Pray for our country. Pray for our Americans. Pray for people who right now are holding on to their loved ones. For whom right now this is their moment. This is their moment of uncertainty. There are people for whom this virus has totally upended how they live. There are people who have been evicted. There are people who have been forced out of their homes. There are people who have been forced into homelessness. As a result of this virus. And all they were concerned about. All the president was concerned about. Was saving the stock market. That's all he was concerned about. Saving the stock market. Meanwhile. The rest of us perished. So I'm asking all of us. I'm asking all of us. Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Pray for us. right? Today we're going to talk about Black doctors' push for anti-bias training in medicine. The stories that I can't breathe were George Floyd's last words. Doctors writing in the New England Journal of Medicine are using those same words as a refrain to lay out how systemic racism has negatively impacted the health of African Americans and how this is the moment to change it. Black doctors are now calling on healthcare systems to take the lead in advocating against police brutality to diversify their workforces to better reflect their patient population. I think that's pretty reasonable. And to incorporate addressing racial health disparities as part of clinicians' training. I I think that's pretty straightforward and very easy to understand. And, to, and relatable, entirely relatable. I mean, after all, when you go to the doctor and your uh, his ethnicity differs from yours, at the back of your mind, one of the first things you ask yourself is, "Are is he culturally aware or is she culturally aware? So that any disparities in backgrounds, socioeconomic status, or in culture can be addressed. Because sometimes there is a difference in how approaches are dealt with for instance people who are of south asian descent are perhaps more comfortable going to a doctor of south asian descent because they feel that that person will understand the cultural nuances and thereby treat them better well it's the same thing that we are seeing in america today uh, there are not enough black doctors to treat black patients right and because of structured racism we, we got to understand that there are different parts to 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 white supremacy and there are different parts to systemic racism structured racism is just one part structured racism is let me put it to you just plainly structured racism occurs when blacks live in one community and whites live in another community when taxes in one community differ from how many ta- how much taxes you pay in another community and how much services are in one community as opposed to city services. Services that should be general, services that should be available for all, are distributed differently based on people's race and people's income. That's structured racism, right? Structured racism occurs also in college admissions. Like uh, white kids get better budgets in their school districts, so they have better access to basic education, as the article says, Right? And so their opportunity for upward mobility is enhanced, is greatly enhanced as compared to black kids who are not exposed to the same level of basic quality education and therefore they have less opportunity of advancing. That's structured racism. It becomes systemic when it is not just confined to one geographic area. It is systemic because you find that in all the, in all the spaces in all, all of the country. Do you see you now what I'm saying? So it's broad in its application. So then it becomes systemic because it's, if you're black, this is how you're going to be treated. The structured part of it is that it is designed to work this way. That's the other component to it. So when you look at this, it then makes the argument for having anti-bias training as part of medicine very, very relevant. It it should be across the board. It shouldn't just be doctors. It should be nurses. It should be all clinical partners. It should be all clinicians, whether they administer medicine or not, whether they treat and diagnose, whether they, they, they provide therapy services, whether they're physical therapists, respiratory therapists, or occupational therapists, any form of therapy, anybody who is touching the human body, anyone touching the human body should be subjected to anti training, because antibias training is killing black people. anti training, we've seen that now in COVID, right? How people were treated differently, how black in, in the Detroit area, one woman who worked for a local hospital died because when she kept complaining about the symptoms, they kept sending her home from the emergency room. Her family is going to file a lawsuit, as they should. Why? Because this is anti. this is bias training by clinicians. Reports have to be done. They have to find the the, the people and obtain statements. It's, It's a big deal, but it needs to happen. Right. So anti bias training is very necessary. There are more black women. We're going to do another show, a follow up to our show that we did earlier this year on black women dying while giving birth. I call it pregnant while black. Like seriously <laughs> the ways in which black people are treated by healthcare professionals is degrading and unbelievable and should not be tolerated quite frankly you have to become your own best advocate i saw that happen even with my own mother when my mom was uh was sick and how she was treated by the healthcare uh, uh system by professionals in healthcare then i showed up and I started asking questions and then, you know, we fu- I found out they, they kept saying, well, when mom said, well, when family members sh- show up, the more family care about. Them. I said, that's not it. I said, it's it's all kinds of factors here. It's racism and it's class. And mom was reluctant to see it because she didn't want to accept that even the very people whom she worked with could be racist. And I told her I understood that. But I said, you got to call it what it is, that even though you were exposed to the same level of professional training they still looked at you through the realm and through the lens of color and therefore they're going to treat you as such until someone calls them out on their foolishness on their tomfoolery do you see what i'm saying so we've got to get to the stage where we see people for people and and the movement is coming because now the country is no longer uh 100 white The country is no longer 80% white. It's no longer 67% white. It's not 60% white. It's lower than 58%. I feel as if the reason they called a halt to the census is because the numbers were coming in alarmingly that the country was getting predominantly brown, which means then that they have to redistribute goods and services. Nobody wants to acknowledge that because the people who are in power who are white want to hold on to power. Not for any other reason than they want to contain power to themselves. And the rest of us don't matter. Well, that day and time has changed. So now we, there's a movement coming where there are going to be more people who are brown and black. The country's getting more brown. And who is going to be in power? That's a serious question. I, I, I'm posing this because we're not unique in this. This phenomenon of the browning of the population is not unique. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in countries in Europe like Denmark, Finland, Belgium, uh, Switzerland. It's happening in those countries. It's happening in France. It's It started racial unrest. It's happened in Great Britain, right? It's happening in Germany. It's happening right across Europe. It's happening across the whole world because people are migrating and moving. A lot of what is spurring and has been spurring the migratory patterns of people over the last 10 to 20 years is climate change. Countries where they lived were enveloped in wars and because of climate change, places got drier, people had no access to water, they couldn't plant crops, they couldn't live, they moved into urban centers, those became overwhelmed with people and resources, uh, available community resources such as water and jobs became less and less available. So people started moving north it's almost as if the human being is sensing something is coming and just keeps running, running, running towards it. Just running away from it, running north, as far north as you can go. So now we're looking at how do these things affect population? Well, people begin moving. So, of course, the population is going to what, change to reflect the people who live there. And migratory patterns impact that. So naturally, people want representatives who look like them, whether they're their doctors, their nurses, or their clinicians. People want teachers who understand them and who are able to deliver care that is understandable and that is healing. In a lot of spaces, what we have seen is that people do get care, but they die from preventable diseases that the white population do not die from, like giving birth. I'm going to read a statistic that I came across yesterday. Over 2,700 2,000, uh, black women died in, in during childbirth, and specifically in the last 10 years, but the number for white women was less. Can't happen. We need anti-bias training in healthcare. People need to be able to access good quality healthcare that has nothing to do with my race, my ethnicity, my nation of origin, if applicable, or just simply how I look. I should be able to walk in and get good quality health care just because I'm a human being. Health care that is driven by standards of care. Health care that complies with uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and World Health Organization standards. Health care that is delivered with with cost, with, with, with a cause to dignity, to human dignity. And that is entirely based upon my circumstances. Entirely based upon me as a person, but not on what my circumstances look like. It's, it's across the board. You walk in and if you're white, you get a different level of greeting and a different level of treating treatment. Sometimes, especially in the last four years in America, you go into somewhere and it's like you step back into the 1950s. Like it's 1950s all over again. And I don't know if, if we're sensing a change is coming. and So we're running. We're literally running. So we're trying to recoup as much as we can. It, it It's still not going to work. Because it is what it is, as the kids would say. So I want to read for you some of this. I, I'm going to quote some information here to you. And and here are the facts. The facts are like what I told you earlier. The U.S. is number one in quality of universities, but number ninety-one in access to quality basic education. The U.S. leads the medical leads the world in medical technology, yet we are number ninety-seven in access to healthcare. Unbelievable. Black doctors want training on systemic racial bias in healthcare to be part of a physician's education. I think that is entirely reasonable. Part of the reason is COVID-19. COVID-19 disproportionately affected the African-American community and impacted Black Americans. The rallying cry of George Floyd's I can't breathe, it initially was started by Eric Garner. But when George Floyd screamed, I can't breathe, all of us now recognize that we can't breathe collectively that we can't breathe because we can't breathe right right and so we have issues uh when doctors are trained and their training their training is based for instance i learned that people with different uh pigmentation in your skin different levels of melanin determine what your skin color looks like isn't that kind of basic though Right, People with that, the darker the pigmentation in your skin, there are certain, when you enter into an emergency room or you present at a, at to a clinician, there are different indicators of respiration and uh, disease process that <coughs> can be apparent to a clinician based upon your skin, based upon the presentation of your skin. But if your skin is darker pigmented, then it's going to look very different on you it probably might not show on me than it would show on someone who is 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 much uh is white right so you got to who so you got to ask yourself then how does it present the way medical books are and textbooks are written it does not differentiate it does not distinguish it has one pattern as if that one pattern is only based on people who are white or white skinned it doesn't look it doesn't take into consideration how brown people look. I actually never knew that. I didn't know that. I thought that the teaching in medical programs across the country was so broad-based, was specific, that based upon how a based if you're going to say, if someone's lips are going to turn blue, well, if someone has dark colored lips because they smoke all their lives, how do you know if it's blue or not? If the skin around the lips is dark, how are you gonna know if it's blue or not? I had no idea they did not take those into consideration. Black women who have been pregnant and will tell you that the way they're handled and touched by physicians and clinicians is very different. They don't talk to them or touch them. And they make assumptions. This is where the systemic racism come in. People present and they assume that because you're black, you're on welfare. Or because you're black, you don't know how to eat and send you to a nutritionist. They did that to me when I was pregnant with my youngest child. I lived in an upper middle class neighborhood, but my color. <laughs> so they assumed <laughs> that I needed WIC. And I'm like, I didn't even know what WIC was. Women's Infant and Children Program. I didn't know what it was. I said, why do I need to go to a nutritionist? I know nutrition. I remember my doctor, actually, he was a white man, actually sat me down. And I I see I was new to this racism thing, so I didn't quite get it. I didn't get it at all until my pregnancy had advanced and I had delivered the baby. Then I understood that people were not being rude, that this was systemic, and that this was probably racism. I remember my physician asking me, what do I eat? Because I was 35 going on 36, and I was pregnant. And so they acted as if it was such an anomaly for me to be 35 years old and pregnant. This was 18 years ago, right? And they acted like it was the strangest thing. Can you believe them? So my doctor sat me down and asked me, How, what do I eat? So I said, What do you eat? I probably eat the same things you do. I said, don't all human beings eat salmon and steak and chicken and, and roast chicken for dinner. I said, all human beings eat that. And he looked surprised. I said, oh, what do you think I eat? I eat eggs in the mornings at the time I was pregnant. So, you know, I didn't, I couldn't keep anything down for a long time, but as the pregnancy advanced, my eating habits changed and reverted back to normal. So I could, you know, eat your regular stuff, your oatmeal, your eggs, and drink milk. I used to drink milk by the gallon when I was pregnant. Every Nowadays, I still have a half a glass of milk at night. It helps me to sleep better, right? But can you just, this is, this is why we call it systemic racism. Because I don't know what he thinks. I ate paper, maybe? Grass? At one point, I remember my husband at the time saying, what does he think you eat? Grass? He's like, maybe you need to, you know, he was like, maybe he needs to, you need to invite him for dinner. Because I couldn't believe it. I mean, people cook food in their home. Don't you cook lamb chops and stuff like that? Huh? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you folks getting it? This is systemic racism. I won't begin to tell you what it felt like when I was giving birth. There was a labor nurse in the room who was black. Thank God for her. But they might the the baby was stuck in the birth canal, and she could bear because they underestimated me the doctor never did a vag. I remember asking, him, how come you don't examine me vaginally to make sure the baby's head is turned down to make sure the baby because sometimes the doctor can move the baby, so my young you know she stayed on one side for so long, I used to have to tell her to move over. The doctors you they examine you vaginally and help to move, you know, move the baby around. So you get some comfort and relief. These are things you take for granted. So I I couldn't understand it. I thought he, he when he didn't touch my person, I, I just assumed that I said how come you don't touch or if he had examined me, he would have known that my cervix was too small and the baby's head was much bigger than my cervix, and they probably should have done a C section i am here today by the grace of god i did not die because her head was bigger than my cervix and could barely come out that is bias and systemic bias by the grace of god i survived and the baby survived when she was born she was greenish blue she had no oxygen they thought she was going to be uh brain dead they thought she was going to have all kinds of birth defects when she was born inside of the the delivery room they had a pediatric uh pediatric uh whatever and a, what was it a neonatal surgeon a pediatric anesthesiologist because they thought something was going to be wrong luckily by the time she came out she sm- she screamed and she was fine and she breathed on her own maybe that's why she means so much to me today that probably explains why I love her so much. Every breath she takes to me right now is precious. Some days I wonder, but that's children, right? That's just how it is. But I am saying to you, this is part of what people endure. Now imagine there these instances are multiplied across the board. What's even more alarming is that people walking with irregular heartbeats, And they're told they're anxious, go home or given a pill for pain. One of the biggest things that happen is that doctors ignore when black women say they're in pain. Somebody, a black man goes and says, I feel pain in my chest. And the doctor gives him a painkiller instead of giving him an EKG to determine if he has heart disease. If you are black, don't go into the hospital for for anxiety. They will put you, if you're 25, they will say you have heart disease and give you medication for it. I read a story on Twitter uh, yesterday. Uh, I should have screenshot it, but it's probably still there. I'm going to screenshot it and post it. But a young man said his grandfather was diagnosed with diabetes and placed on insulin for six years. He began to feel really bad. And he was taken to the doctor by his his, his his parent, the young man who is reporting it. When his dad took his father to the doctor and he was tested, he had never had diabetes. They killed him off. He died a few days later from complications. He, they gave him insulin until he died for six years. He had never had diabetes. Are you hearing me? He was misdiagnosed you go into to the doctor, you don't feel good, you're dizzy. They immediately say you must have a blood sugar problem. It could just be you have an electrolytes problem. It could just be you're lacking vitamin K. It could just be you're lacking magnesium. The remedies that they would give out, distribute to people, oh, just go home and take something for your electrolytes. You probably need to eat more vitamin K, eat bananas, take some magnesium and you'll feel better. Come back in two weeks and let's see how you feel. Instead, they say that you have, uh, you have a life-threatening illness and start giving you drugs that eventually kill you off. It makes me wonder now how many women go into to get their breasts examined and they will look at your breasts and see something in your breast developing and not talk about it. Not tell you that it's, it's something. So you can start getting treatment early. How many people go in, how many women go in and they tell them you have breast cancer, put them on a program, give them chemotherapy, and then they die. This is what is called bias in healthcare. And I'm glad that black doctors are pushing for this to be taught in medical school and part of their physician's training. So that by the time they end up in the emergency room and they start a practice of their own, they're a little less biased. We got to look at the broad application of how poverty impacts populations. I'm not happy either. There are some things that I'm not happy about either. But there are also systemic and structured racism elements and factors that impact people's lives. We can't continue like this. Right? Right? We've got to understand that we, we, we've got to understand that when people stand up that these things like these happened. The coronavirus pandemic caused a disproportionate illness and death in the African-American community. Listen to this. Blacks account for 22% of U.S. deaths from COVID-19. Yet we are only 12.5% of the population. of cases reported to the CDC included racial identification of coronavirus victims. It's devastating. 22% of people who died from COVID-19 were black, but we're only 12% -12 of the population. It's like a plague. They call it, you know what physicians called it? The black plague. Right? We have good, hard-working physicians, but the cases of implicit bias is so prejudiced that it applies to people. Right, we, We've got to change it. Listen to this. The lack of diversity among U.S. clinicians is, is really something to think about. More than half of U.S. practicing physicians are white. 17% are Asian, 6% Hispanic, and just 5% are black. This is 2018 data from the Association of American Medical Colleges. When, and this is the point I was making. When you learn in medical school about burns and rashes and skin diseases, they're described in how they appear on white patients. They don't tell you how it appears on a Latina patient, on an Asian patient, or on a black patient. I'm a little concerned about this. Half of U.S. practicing physicians are white, 17% are Asian. You know what that also tells me? They make sure the white people who get into medical school all pass. Research shows that patients of color lack diversity. Uh, where they lack light diversity can translate into less responsive care, of course. Black patients are generally under treated for pain than white patients, according to a 2016 study. So, you go into the, just like I said, you go into the doctor and you ask, tell them you're in pain and they ignore you. White medical students and residents believe the, listen to this, white medical students and residents believe the black body was biologically different and in many cases stronger than the white body. And in some cases, they believe that blacks have a high tolerance for pain. Maybe that's what my white doctor was thinking when I was pregnant so he thought I had a higher tolerance for pain that pain almost killed me to give birth I kid you not when it comes to cancer treatment systemic racial issues leads to higher mortality more than 15 academic papers examined residential segregation found that living in segregated black communities is associated with later stage diagnosis of breast and lung cancers and lower survival rates. I just said it. I just said it. So where you live accounts for how you are treated. It it, it accounts for later stage diagnosis of breast and lung cancer. lord have mercy i found out when my mom got sick the last time we took her she worked for detroit medical centers i kid you or not and when she was first diagnosed in 2014 her doctor said she had a longevity rate if she exceeds five years blah 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 when she got sick within three years i towards the end I wasn't happy with how Detroit Medical Centers was progressing with her care. I moved her to Henry Ford Hospital, and they gave us a different analysis. First of all, Detroit Medical Centers, to whom my mom was employed, did not want to release her medical files. Mom was still alive, so she signed off for it. And she wasn't you know in her right mind, they wouldn't release it when they finally got it. It was three weeks before Mom died. It was at that moment that the doctors at Henry Ford Healthcare System told me that mom's disease, oh God, please help me. Mom didn't have to die that they misdiagnosed her, that she actually at the time in twenty fourteen Had signs of three different types of cancer. They only treated her for one. My mom is now gone. It's been three years. And I'm trying real hard not to cry. Really hard. They misdiagnosed my mom. She worked for them. She trusted her colleagues. The people whom she worked with. But because of the systemic bias and the racial bias in healthcare, they only treated her for one. She was on Medicare and she was on their health insurance because she was still employed to them. So it wasn't a question of lack of uh, funding to pay for it, she was insured. It was just systemic bias. That's what killed mom. My mom is gone. You think I'm not going to do something about it? Let me get through the grief. When I'm done grieving, they will pay. We've got to rid the system of systemic bias. Healthcare is no place for prejudiced and racist people to be in. Even amongst us Asian, the Asian uh, population of, of clinicians, they too practice racism against blacks all the time, every time. It's not just the cultural nuances that are different because even white patients sometimes will choose not to have an Asian doctor because they fear that the language barriers prevent them from understanding each other, from communicating well. But Asian clinicians are biased towards black patients and you all need to wake up and just accept it. It is what it is. You view black people the same through the same lens as white people do. You have absorbed the white racist strata and structured and and systemic racist attitudes and apply them towards black people. Yes, Asian clinicians do over and over and over again. Typically, most black patients are not even with a white doctor. That is, if you find a specialist, but typically their primary care is someone who probably has the same skin color as they do, yet they're still misdiagnosed and mistreated. Something has got to give. First, it was me when I was pregnant, and then it was mom. I'm not going to pay for it with my life. My mom did, but I'm not going to pay for it. And I don't want you to have to pay the price. Many of us have family members who have paid the price for systemic racism, whose family members were misdiagnosed and mistreated. I have a caller, so I'm going to take this call. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for joining me. What's up?
2: You know, on that case, you're t- on the situation you're talking about,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in St. Louis, decades ago, when Jews weren't allowed or discouraged or prevented from attending traditional hospital,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in this case, like Bourne's Hospital there on South Kings Highway
1: mm-hmm.
2: at uh, Highway 70.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, they built a Jewish hospital. Hmm. And
2: they also train Jewish doctors. Mm-hmm. So my question is, and I am African American, why don't blacks direct more of their children into the medical field? Again. And provide them with the support yeah. that they need in order Come to on. be successful. Right. Because when you look at the percentage of black doctors in mm-hmm. many professions, engineers and so they are not representative of their population mm-hmm. in this country.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You're talking about competition. Mm-hmm. And that is where it lies. If blacks don't go to white doctors, if they don't go to Asian doctors, if they go to a black doctor, then the Asian and white doctors won't be getting their money. Hello.
0: <laughs> say it. Say it. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, you're so right, and I guess that's why uh, these group of black doctors are pushing for anti-bias training, but as you said, the bigger question is, why aren't more black Americans going Train forward? your own
2: doctors. Yeah. You know, we have an abundance of blacks in these professional sports, mm-hmm. to the point that you are wasting a lot of children who are looking to go to the big stage, mm-hmm. but never go there, then they have deficiencies in their academic, therefore they are subjected to abject of poverty during their lifetime. Mm-hmm.
0: The issue the, is all the that issue. has to be changed. Yeah, we got yeah. to be
2: a balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, man. That is so profound. And more
2: directing of the kid, and more direct. Another thing: Blacks are over-represented in low-paying majors. Well, you know, I don't blame the children. I blame the society because the society are not preparing their children, whereas they can be efficient and qualified in order to take on the subject matter that leads them into high paying majors.
0: You're speaking the truth, sir. You know it is. Thank you so much. I value Thank you, you very much. Thank you so much man, I can't begin to tell you. So it looks like the answer is train more black doctors. So that means we're gonna have to talk more to our children about raising up, or about going into medicine. Uh, my youngest daughter, whom I told you about, whom I was pregnant with, and uh, when I encountered uh, systemic racism in healthcare, guess what she wants to be? You guessed it, a doctor. So we've been having this conversation in our home for years, many years now. And uh, just yesterday she announced all this time she was going into medicine because she was curious about how the human brain works. She wanted to be a neurosurgeon. She did, she looked up on YouTube, what does it look like to operate on the brain? And I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know when people's head get cuts up and all that stuff. But just a few days ago, I think it was yesterday, Guess what she said? I think I'm going to change my specialty, y'all. She said, I think I am going to be an OBGYN because there are not enough black doctors to help black mothers when they are pregnant. I felt like hallelujah. I was like, finally. If this is her purpose, if this is what she was born to do, if this is what she's supposed to do, then it was worth all those hours that I labored, all the discomfort and uncertainty whether she was going to live or whether I was going to survive, if I could have developed all kinds of pulmonary embolisms, all kinds of stuff by the grace of God. But because she's here, she says, I am going to help black mothers when they give birth. As the caller said, that's what we need to do. Let's change that. So if you're listening to this, if you are watching me and you're hearing me, if you are of the color of my skin and of my ethnicity, I am going to ask you to make sure that you send your kids to medical school. Listen, don't look at the cost. If you look at the cost, you'll never do it. You will never, ever do it. Don't do that. First qualify for college, then get to college, then God will find a way. You will find a way to do it if you really, really want to do it. That drive and ambition to change people's lives and impact people for the better will drive it. Can I count on you for that? Can I count on you? Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Go to my website, harrykemmer.com, as well as get my book, Through the Fire. Available on amazon.com and and barnesandnoble.com. No, I'm not part of the book industrial complex. I don't write a tell-all book about how the president got over. (laughs) I write a book based on facts. These are the facts. Thanks so much, everybody. Make sure you stream, share this broadcast with someone. Thank you so much. Be blessed, everybody. Happy Thursday. Be blessed.